And we are live back with another episode of Shifting Narrative on Everything Autism. I'm Torin Kearns, and as usual, I'm joined by the autism sage herself, Mama Baden. How are you? Good afternoon. I was looking to see what time of the day it was. Um, I'm doing good today. We don't have any sunshine, but I'm actually feeling pretty good. I'm excited about our topic today because we're going to continue a discussion that we started. Oh, yeah. <laughs> right? We're doing... so. Well, last week, I, I, I think last week, we don't always record these multiple part series in order, but sometime <laughs> in the near past, we recorded an episode about sensory supports and adults, in particular visual supports, and what that looks like in adolescent and adult autistics. And I want to sort of do a part two on supports in general for adolescents and adults and what that looks like, because they're... Because Supports sort of change a little bit. They, mm-hmm. I shouldn't say they change, but they sort of look different than they obviously than they do for kids, and that's often not talked about enough. So I really mm-hmm. want to go into that as someone who's an autistic adult who has needed some help and who still needs help with certain things. As much as I hate to admit that, I really want to get into that on how we can support autistic adolescents and adults because they're not always going to be kids. I know a lot of people, a lot of parents don't want to admit that, but people do get older. Mm-hmm. It's better than the alternative. So Stacy, want to kick us off? Um, you know, a couple of things popped in my head when you were talking in terms of the fact that I love we're doing a part two uh, because I feel like there's not enough discussion on teens, adolescents, and young adults into adulthood. And The other point is for those listeners who have young children now, right? um, The supports your child needs when they're little are not the supports they may need when they're older. So a lot of times parents will say, well, you know, if if I do that for them now, you know, I mean, how are they going to do it when they're an adult? I'm like, but they're only five right now. (laughs) Like, like there are things that you needed help with at five that you didn't need help with at age 10. And And when you're done, let's talk about that statement a little bit. Once you're done, whatever you were saying. (laughs) So it's it's helping parents realize not only that it's okay to put supports in place when they're younger, that doesn't mean those supports are going to be necessary into adulthood, but also supports are necessary, they just look different. Um, STEMs look different, right? Um, sometimes, not all the time. Um, a lot of adults will make adjustments, teens will make adjustments. You know, I had a kid that Um, when he was younger in elementary school, you know, he was like, oh, you know, I don't mind if I have my fidget out in my hand on my desk. But when he went to middle school, because of that developmental pubescent stage of um, your peers are sort of your, uh, that's your, it's important for you to, to please your peers, not so much the adults anymore. Then he wanted to do something different, right? Because he wanted to eliminate something that maybe um, would deter whatever friendships or social relationships that he wanted to foster. And so what he did was um, he got his mom to sew in um, Velcro strips, the crunchy Velcro strip part into his pockets so that when he walked down the hall, if he was in, in his desk, he could fidget with the Velcro in his pocket and no one would know. And it was perfectly fine. And he felt that it was a great accommodation for him to get what he needed. That, that kid's going him. places. Yeah. Yeah, that kid's going places. That 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 is very, very creative. His mom, and, his mom supported that and thought of that. She said, "Let's." She was she could sew. I mean, not everyone could sew, but it was a great idea. Mm-hmm. 
But that, that and that's what you want to see. You want to see, well, I shouldn't say that's what you want to see. Because yes, that is what you want to see, but that kid just has natural ability to mm -hmm. self-advocate and a natural ability to sort of think outside the box, which a lot of autistic people, unfortunately, we struggle with that a little bit, thinking outside the box. So while that's a great example, that kid is really lucky. He seems to have a couple of just natural gifts, which mm -hmm. I love to see because I want to see autistic people be successful because the stereotype is that we can't even wipe our own asses, all of us. So that's... So, Torin, I'm going to throw out the fact that I love what you just said, or should I say what you said is very valid, right? Not everyone is that creative. Not everyone can ever, you know, advocate for themselves. But I will say that the reason I feel he can do that is because he had a mom who was empowered, understood, and always fostered his, his advocating and always accepted whatever he needed in regards to supports. And so I think that sometimes children are not able to advocate or they're not able to think creatively because they're not surrounded by adults that foster that. No, no, that's... That's a very good point. That's an ex that's an excellent point. It's the how can I say this? You kind of need a little bit of both. And yes, so I I'm not saying it's a bad point. I, I, think, agree. I think that's great. You should nurture and encourage that. But to get back to a point you brought mm -hmm. up earlier that I want to bring up is this idea of and I'll probably title put this in the title of the episode because I love clickbait, <laughs> but how to prepare your kid for the quote unquote real world. Yep. That always gets me because mm -hmm. it's like, what the fuck is the real world at this point? Paying bills. But like, yes, and I agree that certain things you need to be prepared for. But it's like oftentimes, as you know, Stacey, mm -hmm. this is used as an excuse to deny support for autistic adolescents yep. in particular. Yes. The, well, you're going into the real world now. So how are you going to survive if we help you achieve your goals. You need to be able to figure it out on your own. Mm -hmm. And then we criticize them when they flop because exactly. they have no supports. Yes. There that's like a... me saying, oh, oh, I need glasses. Well, in the real world, they don't have glasses. So Yep, that's it. That is exactly it. I use my glasses all the time to help parents understand the needs for support and that it's okay. But um, I, I got a message from a parent um, early this week and in the IEP meeting, I, I believe her son is 11th grade, maybe possibly 12th, but last in years of his high school and in the meeting when mom advocated for accommodations and supports, someone at the table from the school actually said to her, what's the point? I mean, he's, it's his last year he's finishing. This teacher had no, no, no idea that this child had more dreams for himself as well as his parents did. She just was like, well, what's the point? He's finishing. Well, he has dreams? Really? Autistic people have autistic people yeah, have right. goals? That right? That's what? shocking. <laughs> yeah. It was the really, CNN you know, piece told me that all of that all autistic the CNN told me all autistic people strive to do is work in the cafeteria. I know. So that's why we have to keep having these discussions and doing these episodes because people need to shift their narrative around everything autism. And so today we're talking about supports. Um, so where should we start, Torin? Should we start with, you know, we're, we're always talking about supports at school and, and blah, blah, blah. And, and I get it. But, you know, adolescents and teenagers want to do things on their own. They want to do things outside of school. Um, they want to interact and do things independently, even if it's not going 
uh, you know, out with a bunch of friends, a lot of times uh, it's teens want to go to the store without mom and dad, maybe with an uncle or an aunt, you know, not parents, right? You want to sort of pull yourself away and parents um, understandably, you know, I get the worry and the fear, but um, if we support their needs, they can do it. So thinking in terms of that, if you were to think of two or three areas where teens, adolescent, young adults, that's the group we're talking about, need support. Like I think automatically like self-help, right? That's a lot of times we need to put some supports in place around self-help. Well, the first thing I'd like to do before we get into that is sort of mm -hmm. finish up what we were talking about. I need you to tell the audience why the narrative of preparing for the real world is bullshit. I need to come for you because they're not going to listen to me because I'm just some like jackass autistic person who I've never not, been in the real world. Yeah, I no, I have, but see, when I tell them I have, they're like, "Oh, well, you're not like my kid." Mm -hmm. So this needs to come from the non-autistic professional because you're the people that everyone listens to. So please explain to the audience and anyone who might be listening why the whole narrative about getting ready for the real world isn't actually a good excuse to not, it, it, it isn't, it isn't a reason to deny support. You should never deny support, but it's definitely not a good reason to do so. No. And the simple answer would be in the quote unquote real world, um, everybody's walking around with supports. Everybody has supports. People have their phones to support where to go, what to do. People have spouses, partners, family members that support and help them get things done. Um, people have reminders, calls, the doctor calls to remind you about your appointment in 24 hours. That's a support uh, in terms of someone helping you and you're not doing it on your own. Uh, I think for me, uh, or should I say, in regards to the real world, I think people think of the real world as a big, big, bad, ugly place that you need to be able to suck it up, push through, and do what everybody else wants you to do, just like everybody else does it, because that's what society expects, right? Um, however... <laughs> The reality of it is that it is, it is just a place where we all have to find out what we can do, how we can contribute, and what we need to help us do that, right? And it looks different. So when it comes to supports, a lot of times when it comes to like, let's use something simple like visuals, or even in the high school, if a student is checking in, right, with their homeroom teacher before they go to their classes, that's sometimes part of the IEP accommodation. Someone will say, well, that's not going to be the real world. You know, when they go to college or when they get a job, when they get a job, that's not the real world. Well, why can't it be the real world? Why can't it be that your child um, is able to find a job and advocate for either a mentor or a job coach or even working with their boss on developing a system of check-in to make sure that they are getting things in order ready for what the expectations are for their workday? I don't understand why that's any. And if they can't, and if they can't, because let's just it's just hypothetical. Let's say the job market is screwed, and most of the quote unquote jobs that are being created are grunt jobs at Target and Walmart. No offense to them, but they don't care about your advocacy because there's 50 people lined up behind you. Mm 
-hmm. Hypothetically, let's say we lived in a world like that where good supporting jobs don't actually exist anymore or very rare and you have to be very lucky or very talented or know someone to get them. Well, maybe then we need to change the system and start voting for politicians that will create those sort of jobs or advocating for those sort of jobs. This is hypothetical. Of course, that's not happening because, of course, as you know, that's communism. So anything that that bucks trend is communism. So, but not to be tongue in cheek, all sarcasm aside, that is a legitimate problem. I think a lot of the real world narrative comes from the fact that the jobs you described are rare. Those jobs didn't exist for me. The jobs I had for me were these suck it up, like just do the job until I burnt out and then quit or got fired and just do that over and over for a decade straight mm -hmm. until I met you. Because, and a lot of my friends had the same experience because those jobs don't exist unless you know somebody. Mm -hmm. Like all of my friends who were in nice supporting jobs got lucky. I got lucky by meeting you. I have friends that got lucky because they knew people. Unfortunately, there's a lot of luck involved because there aren't a lot of those jobs to support people's needs, even if you are talented. The only jobs I can think of are like tech jobs or engineering jobs where you have to have a select talent. Contrary to popular belief, I say this over and over, most autistics are not good at math. Most of us are not good at tech or engineering. That's a stereotype. Those are mm -hmm. a few autistic people who got lucky that their special interest happens to be something the market values. I hate to talk about economics, but it's true. Most of us have special interests in things like deep fat fryers or something like that. <laughs> That we have to get a little creative to figure out how to actually know someone who's who special interest is deep bat fryers. We gotta get a little creative to figure out how, how to turn that into a living. And oftentimes that creative process involves a lot of trial and error and a lot of those awful jobs, a lot of being thrown out to the to the big bad world that you mentioned, because it does exist, unfortunately. Yes. I, I, I feel like I just wanna bring that up to mm -hmm. play a little bit of devil's advocate. Yeah. And and the world can be very scary and a big, bad, ugly place. I mean, it's been ugly to me. It's been ugly to you. It's been ugly to my children. It's been ugly to my friends. Um, and I think that's what people know, are afraid of. So they want they, yes. they want their kid, their adolescent autistic kid, effectively, because my opinion, if you're 18, you're still a kid. Yes. Like, you think about it. If you're 18, you've only been, like, talking for, like, 15 years. Like, you haven't been doing it for that long. Like, that's why, like, if you ever listen to, like, your average 18-year-old, they just they, they just say dumb shit. Like, it just yeah. sort of flows because they, they, they haven't gotten the hang of it yet. Like, basic yeah. stuff, like feeding themselves and stuff. It's, like, they haven't gotten the hang of anything because they're still kids. And I think they're afraid these kids just won't be prepared. And there's a certain fragility that a lot of caregivers, parents, and teachers think autistic people have. They associate meltdowns and sensory mm -hmm. sensitivities as being mm -hmm. fragile. They're not the same thing. There are yes. some people who are legitimately mentally fragile, but that's not exclusive to autism. So I think that's where the fear comes from. And I'm sorry for taking this so off track, but oh, I yeah, did want to talk track. about this. And I also want to apologize for to the audience. Today is one of those days where my access to my words is not great. That's why I'm constantly tripping over myself. I want to, the reason I want to go ahead with this recording is because I want to show that like, I'm not perfect and that like, I don't have struggles. So like today is a day where just the words are not coming. So I sound a little like Joe Biden. So I'd like to apologize. And you don't have to apologize for your communication difference, but I appreciate you letting us know so that we can all understand their perspective. I'm going to do something a little different based off what you just said. 
Um, so a lot of my parents that I work with, um, I often recommend that book uh, that I love, uh, Sincerely Your Autistic Child. And there's a section that I often read. I always say, I want to go on Facebook Live every day and read a part of this book. But I just don't if I could get there without being so emotional because this book is just such a powerful book. Um, however, there's a section that I want to read. It's not long. Um, and this is a section that I read to help parents with exactly what you just said. We worry, we have fear for our children, um, but we have to remember they are individuals and when they grow up, they want to have their own experiences. And sometimes that involves mistakes. So I'm just going to go ahead and start. It says your fears, and, and this is an autistic adult writing a letter to their parent that they could not articulate when they were a child. So if they were a child, this is when they were a child, this is what they wanted to say, but they could not say it until now. It says your fears may not be reality. Stay aware and protect me, but don't fall into the trap thinking that I am so different that you are the only one who could possibly see me as special. If I am wonderful enough for you to love me, others will see that as well. Not everyone is making fun of me. Not everyone is a potential abuser. Do not protect me so much that I do not have room to connect with others. Even if I struggle with much vaunted life skills at age 10, 15, or even 40, do not let your imagination project that into some nightmare adulthood for me. I have a place in this world. The fact that I am here is proof of that. Trust that we will find that place together. I think that's that's beautiful. I've been wanting to read that book. My only thing is the person who edited it mentioned that because they wanted to capture the autistic person's authentic voice, they didn't do a lot of editing, which is great. Except four years of English majoring has made that so I just I, I just can't do it. I just can't do it. I've had that I've had grammar beaten into me. I also did a lot of English in high school because that was like my academic track. I wrote for the paper and stuff. So I've had that beat into me. So I just, if I see typos in a book that's published, I just can't do it. But for 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 normies, for people who weren't indoctrinated by the cult of creative writing, I suggest you read that because it's all autistic voices, different types of autistic, different levels, different quote-unquote functioning levels, giving you their perspective. And I do think that is really beautiful. And one thing I'd like to add to that, and and we'll get back supports. I won't answer your question about the five supports, I, I promise. <laughs> One thing I want to mention is also don't use, I know I've talked about my story a lot. Don't use my story as a, as a, this will definitely happen with your kid. I've had, so everything they mentioned in the letter happened to me. All the work, when you're saying don't worry about this, all that shit actually did happen to me. But like, yeah. I have really bad luck. Like, I don't know, like, I, I stepped on, like, a me. I walked under a ladder. My first step must have been under a ladder and onto, like, a broken mirror or something. So I've had so I've had some good luck, but I've also had some really bad luck. You can't use my experiences as what will happen to your autistic kid. I've also made a series of really dumb life decisions. Like, really dumb, like, really stupid-ass life decisions. So, which has nothing to do, which has more to do with me just kind of being stupid than an actual autistic person. So I just want to put that out there. There's no guarantee that like your your child's gonna like trip and fall on their face the way I did over and over and over. But 
to answer your question, so the question you asked me earlier before we went on this tangent, because I really wanted to beat this home that the whole real world thing is bullshit. Mm-hmm. You asked me, what was the question? Five supports you think two adolescents three, need? Two to three areas where you think adolescents, young teens need supports. Uh, young teens, I would say, I see, I feel bad saying this one, even though it's the obvious one, but financial. Yes. A lot of autistic people, and I understand different parents with different abilities to support their kids. I, like I said, I grew up in the projects. Trust me, I know. A lot of autistic kids suck with money like because executive functioning. Mm-hmm. So budgeting help is very important. Discussion on how to pay bills is incredibly important. The stuff they should be teaching in school, but at least they didn't teach us. And in New York City public school, they don't because New York City public school is awful. Things like that, how to, so how to budget, how to, what like sort of household expenses, things like that. That's huge. Obviously, it helps if you have the financial means to be able to help your child reach some of their goals, help them with technology, if an iPad or some sort of tablet. Here's a little tip for you. You don't have to get an iPad. For visuals, you can get any sort of tablet. We use iPad locally. iPads are the most expensive. You can get like an Android. You can get a Samsung for like $200 cheaper and it'll work just as well. That's just a little tip. Don't spend your money on Apple, especially if you live in America where you have other options. Don't spend your money on Apple because it's not better than the other brands. They're just more expensive. A little PSA for the day. So things like iPad. I disagree. (laughs) I hate Apple. We can talk about that off air. I hate Apple. I always have. Um, I so tablets can really help things like visuals we talked about in the last episode. Mm-hmm. So, th- if you have the financial means, uh, wisely investing that in things like visuals or uh, what's it called? Uh, noise canceling headphones, mm-hmm. which actually are not that expensive. You can get a cheap pair for like 50 bucks. Oh, yeah, so they're definitely noise cancelers have really come. So, things like that. So, financial in multiple ways, I would say. Um, I don't know if patience counts as support, but in my opinion, it does. Because, and by patience, I mean allowing them to develop and to make mistakes. In my opinion, that's support. Yes. Because if you don't don't allow, because we talked about, like in that letter, we talked about the, the autistic person's parent was worried that, were basically worried that their kids just wouldn't be able to survive the quote unquote real world. They bubble wrap. They bubble wrap. Bubble wrap. Yeah, that's a good yeah. phrase. Like I said, no access to words today. I have no clue why, but my words are just <laughs> my, my words are fucked off today. Um you need to be able to you need to allow them to make mistakes. And you need the patience mm-hmm. and understanding to correct them or help them understand where they went wrong. So that would be another one. And I'm trying to think of a third. What would be a good third? Um, I want to add to the one that you just mentioned because I love. Thanks for bailing me out because I had nothing. So thanks for thanks for talking while I have time to think. That's why we work so well together. We do. (laughs) Torn and I both have a brain that works really well on disorganized chaos. Like we just function really well in a disorganized chaotic state because they it's disorganized in our head. Just nobody else understands it. However, I want to add to what you said, because I really love that you you brought up the concept of the parent, what the parent does and how the parent responds is a support. 
in terms of even if you give your teen the independence to choose, right? You've given them responsibilities, you've given them whatever guidelines. And I tell parents, children sometimes choose to not follow the rules and they're okay with the consequence. And so you as a parent need to support that in accepting that sometimes they choose to take the consequence. That's really hard for parents because they are like, no, they're going to listen. I'm like, oh, they're fine with taking that consequence. And that is part of growing up. Making mistakes is how we um, make adjustments. I don't want to say how we learn. I think mistakes help us to make adjustments if the consequence of the mistake was harsh enough. And that's the part that is hard for parents of. Sometimes people are okay with harsh consequences and they keep repeating the same thing. It's okay. Yeah. It I'm one of those people. Me. Like I said, this is why you don't use me as an example because I'll continue to make the same mistake over and over knowing what will happen, expecting different results, which yeah. I believe the definition of insanity. So don't <laughs> use me as an example. The third one, and this sounds the most cliche of all the three, is moral support. And the reason I say moral support is, is because Having somebody there and knowing they're in your corner can make up for a whole lot. An example, and I, an example I like to use is you mentioned that Stacy, you're, you're, you're neither your two sons are autistic, but you mentioned you went to your son's house recently and mm -hmm. helped him deal with yeah, there's a vermin problem, mm -hmm. and you helped him deal with it. And the biggest thing that helped him was just having somebody there. Yes, because mice are trust me, I don't like mice either. It's it's not a fun yes. experience. That sort of moral support, having somebody there to help you out, even if they're not doing much, they're just there to support you. Mm -hmm. It means a lot. If your child has a dream, they, I want to work in this field. I want to go to this college. I've talked about in the podcast. I want to go to school. And no one believed I could. Mm -hmm. No, well, My aunt did. My aunt had some other stuff going on with her life at the time. So at that point, she was not quite as in my life she is now. So the people, I was living with my father, who definitely didn't want me to leave. And the school had basically had a policy of we don't want students going to away to college because they won't be able to survive because they'll need social skills and their mommy and daddies won't be able to take care of them and yada, yada, yada. So I had to do it pretty much on my own. It really helps if you have someone in your corner, you have teachers, if you're a teacher, if you're a social worker, if you're a parent saying, we believe in you, even if you think it's a terrible idea. That comes back to, you need to give, that comes back to number two, patience. You need to give, you need to have the patience to let them screw up. If you think, eh, I'm not so sure, they need, you need to just support them because either they'll surprise you or it will be a learning lesson, one of the two. So that moral support and to not be a dick if things don't go well. Yep. Because yep. that's another thing. A lot of parents, I, a lot of friends, I had to deal with this. And a lot of friends had to deal with it. It's like when they fail, the parent is really like, I told you so. You should have listened to me. I like I stayed away in college and racked up a shitload of debt way longer than I should just because I didn't want to hear that. Because, well, as long as I'm still in school, even though I'm barely passing and I'm miserable and, I've, and oh boy, I've developed an alcohol issue. But at least I'm still in school because my the bar my dad set was you won't be able to stay in school. So as long as yeah. I stay in school, no matter how bad things are going, I win. Don't yeah. put your child in that situation where they either feel awful for failing 
or they're mm-hmm. continuously putting themselves in harmful situations to avoid having to be told, I told you so. Mm-hmm. You know, I love that you, I love the way this is, um, oh, I just love that. The the fact that we come from two different perspectives, but we're always aligned um, and that you're bringing up this whole support around, uh, you know, moral support and then just like the patients and being there because I think it is very important to provide support in that way, especially when it comes to when things don't go as well as expected. And I think part of that, you know, moral support and guidance, and if they fall is to let your kids know, I know you're taking a risk. I'm super proud of you. I'm really scared for you, but I'm here if you need me. And guess what? You can always come home if it doesn't work out. Or you can always decide you want to do something different if it doesn't work out. Life is not set in stone. And it is okay if we go to school and we decide it doesn't work for us. It's okay if we get a job and decide, you know what? I think I need a job where I have less interaction with people. I need a job where I'm doing this. That's how you learn what works for you. And you and I think that what you said pinpointed so well in terms of If they have that person at home, and I say this to parents all the time, just in a different way, if they have that person, the things that that big, ugly, real world throws at them, they can make it through because you're there providing that support. And that makes a difference. Um, And that's totally different than, than visuals. And I will say as a mother who is, um, uh, that blue sparrow bird for uh, my sons, which uh, Torin has been forced to join that group. And so uh, with all of my sons, I would be the blue sparrow bird pecking out anyone's eyes who tried to cross my children. Um, but also I will always climb through, <laughs> crawl through fire to support my kids. And I will be very honest with the fact that not everyone agrees with my decision to do that. Not everyone around me supports me in doing that. I get a lot of flack from um, doing that, even the scenario with the mice, you know, um, uh, another parent, uh, uh, I, I guess I could just say my kid's dad, he just thought it was ridiculous that I was there to help him to get the mice out of the the, the garage. But at the same time, I'm thinking, I know like, 500 other people who would not even go and pick a- up the anyone mice, that's had a vermin issue should understand yes. like you don't want to have to be alone in a dark room yes. with the yes. scratching and the squeaking it's not fun i've done it by no. myself it is not yes. fun yes and so the the and i'm sharing this story because it is a story and an example of what we have to do sometimes as parents when we do decide to provide support that everyone else doesn't agree with and other people, um, uh, you know, his dad and, and other adults that are participating in parenting for my son said he should have learned to do it on his own. And I said, okay, first of all, he needed help and he asked for help. Secondly, it wasn't that he didn't want to do it on his own, it's that because of his anxiety around what would happen if this mouse that was still alive on the glue trap got off the mouse trap, which most people have that even if they don't have anxiety uh, on a regular basis. And I remember my Well, they son, don't get off the glue trap. They just drag it around and it's like... 
I know it's so painful to watch. And then they die. It's yes. awful. But he was able to get things cleaned out and move some boxes that he thought, you know, might have possibly been um, a contributor to um, the mice. And he did it. And he literally said to me, Mom, I just need you to be here. And I just stood there. Now I took care of the dead mice, but he did everything else. And that is an example of that moral support of, I just need someone to be here. It was, he needed me to be the calm, right? To, to reduce his, his, his state of, you know, not knowing what to expect, but sometimes that's all our kids need. And I don't know why it's a bad thing to provide that because he's an adult, but that doesn't mean he doesn't need support. You know, when I had my babies, my mom came to help me with my first time being a mom and supported me. She, I did it on my own, whatever that means, but she was there to help. And so I, I don't understand how making children do things on their own at age 10 is preparing them for an adult life. We support along the way. It looks different. We foster their skills so that they can do things independently. And also we want our children to be able to know what they need to advocate so that they can know what supports they need to ask for, right? If you don't know that you need, that you can do well with a checklist or reminders on your phone, um, then you don't know. And so that's where the adults in, in their life are supposed to help introduce those things. Let's try a checklist. Let's see if, you know, putting an app on your phone reminds you to take your medication or to check your homework on the computer that your teacher sends at four o'clock every day, right? Simple, simple things that we can do to support where they can do it independently and we don't have to tell them over and over again. And with that said, I will circle back to, because listeners are, you know, hopefully our listeners are children of the younger age. So they're prepping for this to make sure they have supports in place and, and also listeners that have older kids. Um, but when children are little, it's interesting when I, I try to introduce supports and parents are like, well, you know, uh, um, they do just fine without the supports because apparently supports are just like bad, right? Apparently it's bad to have supports or it looks like you're not doing things on your own. And I say to the parents, they, they can do it. They don't need visuals. They do it when I tell them. And then I say, how many times do you have to tell them to put their shoes on? After three times, they do it. After, so after you, three times. That's only three so, times. So do you want to continue for the rest of your life telling your child to do something three times? Or do you want to put a visual where you only have to point to the visual or remind them once and they get it done? And then eventually they can do it on their own. Which do you want? Do you really want to walk around the rest of your life telling your children what to do? And some people actually do want that. And when they do, I accept it and I move on. There are some people that want to guide and control their children's every move. And there's nothing I can do about that. But the majority of parents want their children to go into the big, ugly world. And um, so we have to help them with supports. They can make it in the big, ugly world if we provide supports, moral support, visuals, reminders, job coaches, financial coach. Anything. Exactly. And I'm glad you mentioned job coach. I'll get to that in a second. But see, the important thing is the example you gave about the shoes, where they're messing up is after the first time they don't put on, you beat the shit out of them. And if you do that enough times, eventually they'll associate you just being in the general vicinity at that time with putting on their shoes. That's what my mom did with me. And I turned out perfectly okay. I'm being very sarcastic here just before I get canceled or before anyone is like, yeah, right, I should do the same thing. No, please don't. I just described this abuse. 
<laughs> physical abuse. Please don't ever do that. One no, thing I- and and the reason you know you know some people I like that you throw in these scenarios because these scenarios are things that are happening and it fits into the mission of our podcast is to shift the narrative away from that. But that's what people are saying. So I don't think that you and I can have conversations about shifting the narrative if we don't talk about the narrative that people are already talking about that we need to shift. That is true. One thing I want to give before we get into job coaching is the last thing I want to get into because I, I didn't think of it and you're absolutely right. Job training is important. I want to give a story about, I want to tell a story that sort of represents both supports and non-supports at the exact same time. So I think I've told a story before. A few years ago, my friend Henry was on the podcast was teaching me how to ride a bike because my dad never taught me how to ride a bike because I couldn't quite get in. He got frustrated and just reminded me until the day he died almost every day how he tried to teach me how to ride a bike and throw a ball and I could never get it and how disappointed he was in me. Anyway. My friend teaches me how to ride a bike. Turns out I could figure it out. All you had to do is not be a dick. But that's not the the, the point of the story. We were riding. We were going. We we reached a point where we had a hill. And I wasn't wearing a helmet because I'm an idiot. (laughs) And my friend didn't wear a helmet because he didn't want to mess up his hair. Difference is my friend has been riding bikes since he was two years old. Since he was like four, I guess. And he, he, he didn't crash at all. He never had that issue. I was still learning. So, of course, I should be wearing a helmet. But I didn't want to feel like a retard. So I didn't wear a helmet. He tells me not to go down this hill. I'm like, I want to go down the hill. Because I want to prove how good I am at riding a bike. I'm in my wow. mid-20s. This is, I, I don't know how the hell I've made it this far. Long story short, I go down the hill. I don't know how to break. I wipe out. The bike shoots me off. I land on my head on the asphalt. I'm not wearing a helmet. So. Uh, let's say I get a concussion and I'm pretty fucked up. And so we make my friend takes him. So Henry takes him back to his house and I'm like out of it. And and everyone is like, the people who saw me crash, Henry's like, you should really go to the hospital. I'm like, I'm not going to the emergency room because I hate emergency rooms. They're loud. They smell awful. They're bright fluorescent lights. And I spent most of my childhood in emergency rooms because both my parents were sick. So I'm like, I'm good. Except I had a concussion, so I was almost so my 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 response was more along the lines of uh, good. so eventually my friend Henry agrees to go with me, and that's the only reason I went because he sat with me until they in, in, until they checked me out and told me I had a concussion and then offered to to let me stay at his place. But I'm a big strong man; I don't need that. So I got on the subway for two hours to go back to my place. That was a bad idea; it made the concussion worse. About a week later, I go back to his house, and his father, who is like this machismo uh, Guatemalan immigrant, explains to me why I shouldn't have went to the hospital. Because he says everyone has bumps and bruises, and that it was messed up of me to drag his son Henry to the hospital with me to check out what he describes as a bump and bruise. Remember, I had I had a lump size of a grapefruit on my head. And I was oh, bleeding no. out of my skull like some and the <gasps> blood was spouting like some WWE type shit. Like I was pretty messed oh, up. And he so that's an example of I wouldn't have gone to the hospital if my friend Henry hadn't supported me and gone with me, even though he's autistic too and was no fan of emergency rooms. If it was just his father who said not to. By the way, I got another concussion about six months later because once you get your first one, you're more prone. And I didn't go to the hospital because I remember because I have a lot of respect for for Henry's father. So I was like, well, I don't want him to think I'm a pussy. So I didn't go to the hospital. I just suffered for several weeks of just bouts of headaches, dizziness, sensitivity to light. It was awful. My aunt was so pissed at me because it's like, why don't you just go to the hospital? I'm like, because I'm not a bitch. I'm not going to go to the hospital. 
So it's important now. So supports are important, but when you don't offer those supports, you gotta mm-hmm. think of the damage you're doing. I had a second mm-hmm. concussion and didn't get it checked out, even though I already proven I'm prone to concussions mm-hmm. because someone had basically called me a bitch, effectively. Yeah. So you have to be careful when you don't offer those supports, what sort of effect that has on the person. Mm-hmm. I just yeah. want to bring it up. To get back to what you were saying about job training, yeah, I, I wish I would have thought of that. That's very important. Basic skills for job training, how to do a resume, how to grooming and how mm-hmm. and dress up and how to get through an interview. Interviews are very, very tough for for a lot of autistic yeah. people. I didn't think of it because I've always been good at interviews because talking is like the one thing I'm good at. Not today, evidently, but generally talking is like the one thing that I'm actually pretty good at. So my issue is the opposite. I tend to talk myself into jobs I'm completely unqualified for, and that becomes evident very quickly. But a lot of autistic people do struggle with the sort of questions and the rapid fireness, and sometimes they can be very adversarial these interviews mm-hmm. so things like that how to dress finding clothes that won't irritate their sensory issues because then it's going to be even harder to work a job or to get an interview uh even things like helping them remember their social security numbers so they can fill out applications mm-hmm. all of those yep. and helping them with paperwork for college all those things are forms of support that i didn't think of and i'm glad you brought up because those are very necessary so i'm just gonna tell all the listeners that torin is good at a lot of stuff not just talking and i'm, re- I'm really not like this is the only thing one, I of going my, for me. one of my biggest challenges in life is helping torin shift the narrative about himself but that's a whole nother podcast because <laughs> you know i just love my torin and i understand why torin feels that way i'm not negating his validity of feeling um that way however i want to say something about job coaches, helping for interviews, um, supports within college, supports in the high school. A lot of times, you know, we're talking about all these idealistic things that would be really helpful. And then I can hear, you know, folks saying, well, we don't have that in our community. We don't have that option. We don't have that. And I'm going to say, we don't have it, or you don't have it in your area. What can you do to make it happen? Nothing is going to be put into place to support autistic individuals unless we, you, others who are personally connected, apparently, because people who are not personally connected are not thinking about what supports autistic folks need. So if you have 10 parents in a small town that feel like we're not getting supports around the job, get together, go to the council, sit down and say, Five of you get, to, I mean, things don't happen and supports in any manner, whether it's a ramp at the church, a ramp at the pharmacy, a ramp at the schools, that did not happen until a bunch of people or a few people who needed that said, we need to make some changes. And so all of these things are great, but they're not everywhere. And even the places they are, people are not accessing them. But if they're not in your area, if you don't have supports, start it, start a nonprofit, start getting people together in your community. We can't just wait for someone to do it for us. It's not going to happen. It's not going to happen. That's all I wanted to say on that. No, I think, I think that's a great way to, to sort of bring this all in and to, to end this because that was profound. And just the last thing I'll say is, so 
just be there. I think mm -hmm. all this can be summed up, just be there and help teach them the life skills they will need for the quote unquote real world. Because there are things they'll need for the real world. Mm -hmm. They're going to need to know how to budget. They're going to need to know how to get a job. They're going to need to know how to at least survive an interview. They're going to need... One thing we didn't cover, and we'll probably cover in another podcast, mm -hmm. is, and this might sound a little icky to a lot of parents, is sexual education. Mm -hmm. Of course. You're, you're gonna, you're gonna have to, you're, that's going to have to be a thing, and we're probably going to do, we're going to have to do a whole episode on that, because if you don't, boy, is that going to be a problem. Just, yes. just you, know, you don't think it's going to be a problem, but it will be. Yes. Um, You need all of those things. The same thing that regular teenagers need. Of course. You need to, they, they need these life skills and they're not being taught them in the school. No one is. Torrin said regular teenagers. What's a regular teenager? Uh, fair enough, fair they're enough. All <laughs> they're all aliens from crazy. another planet. They're, they're just babies. They're, they're, they're babies. It's like, you know how like babies and like, like how like infants and puppies will like chew on stuff when their teeth are coming in? That's what adolescents are, like their hormones. Because like their like, hormones are coming in, so they're just chewing on everything. Though instead of chewing, they're just saying dumb shit and making bad life decisions. And it's like something is like taken over. It's like, where is my child? Like there's an entity that's taken them over. I remember why, why is why is he why is my son showering five times a day? No. I remember talking, I remember saying <laughs> I, I think most people know why they're showering. I remember saying when I had my children and they were younger and I was like, you know, I don't understand why people, I mean, boarding school, like, oh my gosh, how can you send? When my kids hit puberty, I'm like, oh, this is why they designed boarding school. <laughs> and you have two boys years, too. So yeah, you send them away to, for four years when they're not really your child, because they're like been taken over by some, by hormones. And taken over by the whole, by hormone yeah. demon. And, yeah. and then just send them back when, when um, they're finished with that. But I want to end and recap on, I love the fact that you brought us to supports that are not just tangible supports. I love that we were able to help listeners see how they can support without having to purchase anything. It just takes a little a little um, time, effort, change of mindset, and giving your child and yourself a little grace. And for those out there that are listening that are um, neurodivergent, autistic yourself, or trying to figure out if you um, fall under that identity, um, give yourself grace, allow yourself to get supports, and everyone else just provide support. I mean, oh my gosh, like just provide support. I mean, goodness gracious, it's not that big of a deal. Like it really is not that big of a deal. Exactly. Right, exactly. And once again, I'd like to apologize. I was a little bit <gasps> no! more vulgar. I was a bit more no! vulgar. Rewind, rewind. I'm taking away. I'm negating that apology. No necessary apology. This I was a bit weird. more vulgar than normal, which is I'm normally kind of vulgar. So that's a little bit above normal. And I wasn't as concise just because whatever reason, and this is something I'm glad I'm talking about this. Mm -hmm. There's something very important for adolescents and adults. That whole thing where they just forget how to talk, it might not be completely forgetting how to talk, but they might sound a little more incoherent. They mm -hmm. might get more frustrated. They can't quite get the words out. Mm -hmm. That's what losing access to words looks like for a lot of semi and mostly verbal adult and adolescent autistics mm -hmm. so for me normally my strength is words but for whatever reason today i just i'm not particularly low on spoons i didn't have access to my words so i'm more vulgar the more the stuff that comes that goes in my head is normally heavily filtered mm -hmm. people think i don't have a filter trust me this is the heavily filtered version of the awful shit that does go on my head 
a lot of it's coming out today because I just can't quite process it. So I'd like to apologize for sounding a bit more incoherent and jumping around, but I think we still, we made it work. I think we made it work. So and I would like to say, I love that you are your true authentic self because that is what I like about you, Torin. All right. Thank and you. Stacy. <clears throat> Jesus Christ. I'm not even muting that because I've been having to clear my throat the whole time having to hit mute because for whatever reason, my throat ain't working either. And Stacy, that's why we are working to shift the narrative on everything autism. So we have to share the podcast, get others to listen. Like, um, subscribe, comment, do all that good stuff to, to get us in the algorithm before Elon Musk buys Podbean 2 oh, and gosh. kicks me the hell off. Thank you, Torin, for today. See ya. Bye. If you'd like to help marginalized youth receive access to books and other learning materials, often inaccessible in many parts of the country, please consider buying the VQ Library of Coffee at Ko-Fi. Link in the description.